All right. This is a very special evening, very special topic, and a very special speaker. Tonight's topic is called Escape from Cairo, but it really could be called Understanding the Soul of Hate or How Hate is Transformed into Love. Because tonight's story is really about understanding what is at the core of anti-Israel and anti-Jewish sentiment in the Middle East, but also really understanding one man's journey from hate to love, from, uh, from a place of anti-Semitism to a place of embracing Jews and the land of Israel. Of course, we know that in, in, in very recently with the war uh, uh, between Israel and Gaza and Hamas, we know that a lot of tensions have once again come to the surface. It's also been ever apparent that what goes on in Israel has a direct effect on Jews around the world with anti-Semitic actions and attacks taking place in various countries, including the United States of America. And so I feel that you know, when, when, when all this was going on, I, I felt that it's very important that we have an event, this event here that we're having tonight, to understand better what is the dynamic and how perhaps we can create more dialogue and more understanding so that we get to the ultimate goal, which is peace and acceptance and tolerance and appreciating diversity, et cetera. So our guest speaker tonight, his name is Hussein Abu Bakr Mansour. And if I mispronounce your name, please forgive me. <laughs> uh, I'm sure rabbis don't always do a great job. Um, uh, uh, but Hussein grew up in, in Cairo, in Egypt. And um, he is going to share his story going from a space of, uh, from, from an environment of anti-Jewish, anti-Israel rhetoric to discovering a different truth. It's a very important story, very important in our lives, just to understand what is going on and how we can be part of a solution that is good for everyone. So without further ado, I'd like to ask all of us to give a warm virtual welcome to Hussein Mansour. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Rabbi, for uh, having me speaking to your community. It's a, it's a great pleasure and, and honor. And thank you, everybody, for uh, being here today. It's uh, um, it's really um, a pleasure to speak um, to this congregation. Um, as you heard from the rabbi, my name is Hussein Abubakar Mansour. Um, I currently work as an educator for Stand With Us, um, educating uh, community members and uh, students on campuses, high schools all over the country um, about the Middle East, about the issues of anti-Semitism and about Israel. Um, and before that, I actually worked as a Hebrew Hebrew teacher for uh, for quite some time, about six years, at the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California. And before that, I was in Egypt because that's actually where I come from. Um, and I mean, that's where we all come from, I guess. Uh, I was from Egypt. I, I was born in 1989. lived lived there all my life, and um, I only moved to the United States in 2012. Now, how did an Egyptian Hussein, from an Arab Muslim background, end up being a Hebrew teacher and educator as a, at a Jewish organization. How did Hussein end up with such a, a resume in Jewish education? That's a, that's a story um, that everybody's, uh, everybody wants to hear. Um, and the truth is that I didn't get to where I am today, or my journey did not start with admiration or curiosity um, or love at all. It actually started with intense hatred. I used to hate Jews and Israel intensely and passionately more than anything else in the world. Um, and somehow I ended up doing, um, my life changed so much that everything in it that got transformed that I ended up uh, being um, a great friend. I like to think of myself as a, as a great friend uh, of the Jewish people and of of Israel. Um, so that's the story that I'm going to share and how did this happen. Um, so as I said, um, in 1989, uh, I was born in 1989 to um, an average um, middle class Arab Muslim family in Cairo, Egypt. There was nothing extraordinary about my childhood. 
um, very traditional family. My father was an accountant. My mother was like any observant Muslim woman. She stayed home to raise the kids and, and feed them well. A job very obviously well done. Um, and I received my education like everybody else from school, from the community members, from mosques, from the TV, from the cartoons, from just the primary sources of um, socialization that every individual um, gets exposed to. And uh, those early sources and primary sources of socialization really stay with you forever. Literally, they become everything because they give you the story of your identity, who you are, they give you the language, they give you the cultural personality, um, and so on. The earliest year um, are the most uh, consequential in the lives, uh, in the life of, of any human. Um, and uh, I received all the narratives that made, gave me a sense of identity, I received it then. I'm, I'm, I'm Egyptian, I'm Arab, I'm Muslim. But there was another part that really stood out to me more than anything else. Um, and that part uh, went uh, like this, that in this world, the world's not boring. There are super villains. There is evil in this world. Um, and this evil is represented by a cosmic supervillain that constantly conspires to control the world, dominate uh, history. They control all the banks, all the politics, all the financial institutions. And that supervillain is the Jew. And the embodiment of that Jewish villainy is the, the state of Israel. Those dirty Zionist pigs who want to kill Palestinian children and drink their blood. And that narrative, I heard it over and over and over. I heard it in cartoons, I saw it on TV. Um, I heard it in mosques, I heard it in schools. It was just something that literally quite everybody, everybody believed in it. Um, and I wasn't even aware it existed because it was like fish in water. That's how the world is. Um, you know, it, it just becomes a basic uh, part of the, uh, you know, almost the fabric of reality. Uh, the sun comes out of the east, the earth is round sometimes, um, and the Jews are evil. And that's just, that's how it is. And you learn that from a very early age. And like everybody else, I learned it. Um, the best TV shows had Jewish villains, the best movies had Jewish villains. The Jews are just the complete, they are the the archetype, uh, uh, archetypal representation of evil, the epitome of all wickedness. Um, and I actually loved those stories because if you think about a child, um, you know we we explain reality to children through fairy tales, and there's a reason that we do that. It's just because of the imagination of children, the ability of children to identify uh, with fairy tales. So anti-Semitism as a fairy tale is actually quite attractive. I actually was obsessed with it. It's like living in Lord of the Rings. Um, oh my God, there are super villains. There are orcs. There is a kingdom of evil that's called Israel. And they have this weird writing that looks like sorcery. Um, and they are evil and you can become a superhero by fighting them. Um, who wouldn't want to live? What kind of child wouldn't like this fantasy? That's literally what Nickelodeon and Disney make. Um, it's a fantasy about good and evil. And um, and I loved it. I was obsessed with it. I used to read very anti-Semitic comic books, which are, are fortunately uh, easy to get in a place like Cairo. Um, I remember this book series. It was called The Man of the Impossible. It was hundreds of them about kind of a, a Muslim superhero who's foiling Jewish conspiracies all over the world. Um, I was just obsessed with, um, with those stories. Um, now, after 2001, things got significantly worse. Um, after 2001, several things happened. You had 9-11, the beginning of the war in terror, the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, and of course, the second intifada. And um, I think I think most likely most of you remember what the Second Intifada was like. There were terrorist attacks um, every other day in restaurants, buses, um, and of course in in Al on Al Jazeera, it's not called the terrorist attacks. It's a, 
it's a heroic operation of martyrs against the Zionist entity and so on. So I remember that period you had, as I said, Iraq, Afghanistan, the second intifada, the TV was just inflammatory, go to the mosque and sensations are high, Muslims are under attack and they're being murdered by Jews and Christians and Americans. Um, and it was just a, a huge wave of radicalization for a lot of people, uh, which I think actually was quite consequential. If you really think about it and do the math, you'll find that it was exactly my generation. Those who were early teenagers during that time are the ones who grew up to for the Arab Spring and ISIS, pretty much. So that period was actually a period of significant um, radicalization. Um, uh, given the the rise of global jihadism, Al Qaeda, Second Intifada, and the, the the terrible role that Al Jazeera played and continues to play um, in the Middle East, so I ended up actually going to a very radical mosque. I, I really bought into all of this. I wanted to become a hero. I wanted to help fighting the evil Jews, um, and I, you know I, I found one of those radical mosques. I went to mosque five times a day. Um, I became very zealous and I wanted to do something. I wanted to do something more to, in order to fight those evil Jews. I was also a nerd. I mean, I am still a nerd um, and I wanted to do something nerdy. So I decided to actually teach myself the dark language of Mordor that is Hebrew, you know, that evil sorcery language that looks uh, terrifying. Um, and that way I can, you know, um, know what the Jews tell each other. I, I can know what they are up to and I can help in this amazing cosmic struggle between good and evil. And the internet was just really picking, high-speed internet was just really, you know, picking up in Egypt then. I was 14, I started going online and trying to teach myself Hebrew, try to find anything about Jews, Jewish culture, about Israel, Jewish history. And I ended up discovering that I do have an act for languages. I taught myself English and Hebrew to fluency. And uh, in a matter of a few years, I was starting to read very different stories about the ones that I grew up listening to. I started to read narratives that are that couldn't be more different. The story of the Jewish people as the, this, this indigenous Middle Eastern nation that comes from the land of Israel that was persecuted, hated, murdered, expelled century after century, country after country, couldn't be more different than the story of the Jewish super villain that pretty much controls the flow of history itself. It couldn't be more different. It's not, it's not that one of them is right and one is wrong. It's just the, the contrast is so sharp that it's, it, it requires like a whole explanation on, on its own. How could the same issue have such a very, very different um, uh, explanations or narratives? I started learning about the Holocaust and um, the, the the terrible disease that's called anti-Semitism that truly destroys entire civilizations and entire societies from the inside out and creates the most horrific um, human incidences or, or human atrocities. Um, and I remember discovering, oh my God, anti-Semitism, I know what that is, I, I live in it. Um, it was absolutely shocking and it was quite depressing to discover that what you thought was your identity, what you thought was your reality was nothing but a fantasy. Um, depressing is also an understatement. Anti-Semitism, unfortunately, for extremely complex, unfortunate historical uh, events became a pillar of identity and for a lot of people in the Middle East. And this is why this has been very, very tough to deal with. If you identify yourself through hating Jews, that's that's a tough one to beat. Um, my world was collapsing, truly. Um, I lost faith in everything. Myself, the people around me, my parents, my teachers, all the adults. I discovered what is this? I'm living, I'm living pretty much in a what a, a Disney movie. Um, it's really hard to describe how difficult of a time that was. Um, but I remember. I was reading 1984, the great book by George Orwell at the time, and he had that great line in it that helped me a lot. He said, um, paraphrasing, but you're never crazy even if you're a minority of one. And uh, that's how it felt, okay? I'm a minority of one. 
um, because nobody was talking about this. The issue of hating Israel and, and Jews, it was, especially earlier, now there are changes, but it was an issue of absolute consensus. That means if you get somebody in Egypt, if you get somebody with an Islamic orientation and somebody was with a, who's secular orientation and somebody who's a leftist Arab nationalist and a Marxist and an Egyptian liberal, it, this is pretty much going to be the only issue that they completely agree on. <laughs> um, it's just Israel evil, Israel needs to be eradicated. Um, so I, I was, the ideas that I was thinking, the fact that I was starting to look at Israel very differently made me immediately alienated me from pretty much everybody. Um, it was very hard really to accept all of this. And I remember when I was looking at Israel, I, uh, at the beginning, I also expected mirroring. I expected that Israelis would be teaching their kids, you know, similar things that I, when I, things that I was taught. But then I discovered that's not true. Israelis, Israeli Jews don't teach their children that Arabs are your eternal enemies till the end of days and you will have to kill them all and take all of your, their, the land. Um, and I discovered the huge moral gap between Israel and um, other societies in the region. And that made me believe in Israel even more. Um, but I didn't know what to do with all of this. I was maybe 18 at the time. Um, I was finishing high school, going to college. I decided that I wanted to learn what I'm passionate about. Uh, now, I was my obsession, my anti-Semitic obsession with Jews had turned into a healthy curiosity. And I wanted to learn more about Jews. There are Hebrew and Jewish studies programs and um, at Cairo University. So I joined with a lot of excitement, you know, I'm going to learn more to only discover that um, what professors at Egyptian universities teach about the subject is only a more elaborate version of the lay anti-Semitism that you can find in the street, the Protocols of Zion, you know, the Mein Kampf books, they, the Jews are inferior genetically, they are genocidal people across their history, just uh, things that are uh, uh, just pure, crass, vulgar, the, the regular anti-Semitism, but a more flourishing language uh, that the that pass in the university. And that was, that went or, or, or um, caused me to go from a state of sadness really to, to anger. I was angry when I discovered that, you know, the elites, the experts, the intellectuals, the professors who should know better are responsible for all of this hatred. And this is a problem that I discovered with anti-Semitism in general. I think anti-Semitism is actually primarily an intellectual problem. Um, there is, I think, an uh, uneducated form of anti-Semitism, but I think anti-Semitism can always be traced to intellectual elites in any society. Um, just the, the, the complexity of anti-Semitic ideas and the anti-Semitic abstractions, because anti-Semitism is extremely abstract and abstracts people to a very high degree, I don't think that hillbillies can do this. I think anti-Semitism starts from extremely intellectual um, people and people with high intellectual capacities are able to formulate this kind of very uh, high abstractions of anti-Semitism. And that's what I found in Egyptian universities, really. Um, but still, it was a minority point. I didn't know what to do. And then I had this crazy idea that I wanted to meet an Israeli. I wanted to actually meet Jews. Till that point in my life, I've never met any Jew, any Israeli. Um, so I found out that there was something called the Israeli Academic Center in Cairo. It doesn't exist anymore, fortunately. But it was there then, part of the Israeli uh, embassy. Egyptians were not supposed to visit it. But I said, you know what, I'll go visit it anyway. If somebody asked me, I'll say, well, I'm, I'm studying Hebrew and they needed some books. Um, so I actually went there and I met the first Israeli I ever met and the first Jew, which was the actually only security guard who was in the building because there was nothing else. It was a security guard who was guarding books, uh, which is great. OK, so I got the security guard, spoke to him Hebrew, in Hebrew and then, you know, went in and they picked the books I wanted um, and I was very happy. And uh, stepping out of the building, I found myself stopped by Egyptian state security. Uh, that's the equivalent of the NSA or the FBI in the United States. And they started interrogating me. What books did they take? 
who did I talk to there? Who's up there? Why did I come to an Israeli place to begin with? Didn't I know that we should boycott or Egyptians are not, are banned from being here? Um, eventually, he let me go, and uh, I thought, you know, me studying Hebrew in an Egyptian university would be a sufficient excuse. But then I get a phone call a week later with a lot of threats from the Egyptian security um, that I need to stop studying Hebrew, I need to stop my excitement or or my interest in Israel, and you know that or I will get what I deserve and so on. Um, and I was extremely terrified at the time. I was young. This was happening when I was 20. Um, and I didn't know what to do. In Egypt, we're talking about a country with a very, very bad human rights record that all Egyptians know of um, and uh, very problematic ways in dealing with dissidents and so on. But yet I also got, I, 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 I had an, another crazy idea, which is going online, opening a blog and writing about this, which I did. And then next thing I know, get picked up picked up by Ynet. Ynet at then was the largest um, Israeli news outlet. That was before the Times of Israel and before all of it, it was just really Ynet did CO did IL. And then this article gets published, an Egyptian student in Egypt who's excited, who's interested in Israel is getting harassed by the Egyptian authority and getting threatened. Um, after the article came out on Ynet, the next day, state security were out of my house. They arrested me. They arrested my father. They took us to an interrogation facility. How dare you speak to the science pigs? How dare you speak to those Zionist dogs? Um, my family had no idea before then about what I was doing with my life, really. They know I was studying for college and I was being a good student, but they had no idea uh, what I was up to. Um, after after a day of interrogations and me apologizing to my dad, my father apologizing and saying they're sorry, the Zionists must have brainwashed him and so on, they, they, they let us go. And then my family had an intervention, you know, about what's wrong with you. And I just told them everything I thought. I really didn't believe a lot of those things anymore. And they didn't want practice religion. I don't want this. And of course, that was very hard for them to hear. So they decided to disown me. And uh, that was extremely difficult. That was in 2010. Um, and soon after that, I was arrested by the Egyptian military intelligence on the uh, suspicion that I was a Mossad agent, a Zionist spy. Um, it's just a, a whole list of, of ludicrous uh, charges um, that don't even make sense. And the craziest thing, when I first got arrested that time, it sounded like a big joke. Like, here I am, I'm like 20, 21. I'm a nerd, pretty much. Um, and then I'm getting arrested for being kind of a double O Muhammad, uh, you know, who's who's an Israeli spy living in Egypt. So for me, for the first two days, it was unreal. Like, um, I'm, I'm sure that all of you have been in a situation like this when something just completely outlandish happens. And you, you take a while till you actually realize, oh, this is actually happening. Um, and it, it turned very quickly into a, a terrible nightmare, two months and a half in the military intelligence. And the craziest thing that I actually felt they did actually suspect that. They, they were that paranoid. They were not that misinformed. They were that obsessive. They actually believed the propaganda they create. Um, the Egyptian government create propaganda that they end up believing it. Um, it's, as I said, it was a very difficult two months and a half. I was beaten every day because I'm a, a Jew lover who works for Zionists. Um, eventually, of course, they didn't find anything and they discovered, I don't know what they discovered, but they decided to release me in December, 2010. Um, a month later, uh, the Arab Spring starts, exactly a month later, actually. The Arab Spring starts, I participated in the Arab Spring, especially that I was very angry also at the time <clears throat> because what just had happened. Um, there was a lot of hope at the beginning. There was a reason they called it the Arab Spring. Everybody thought finally Arab democracy. Um, and I was very excited. I was in Tahrir Square in Cairo. I was very happy when President Mubarak was removed. Um, but soon after the Muslim Brotherhood, they start coming to power. The Muslim Brotherhood is extremely dangerous. Um, 
movement um, and they start coming to power in Egypt, everything gets worse, anti-Semitism gets worse, violence against the Christian minority gets worse. Um, and so, and then they start utilizing the same tactics and tools of, of the pre previous regime. And I found myself being contacted again by Egyptian security, uh, fired my, from my job and uh, being threatened with prison again, if I ever continue um, being interested in Israel or talking to people about Israel or, or anti-Semitism. And that's when I decided maybe it's the best time for me to leave and my friends helped me. And um, um, I was able to leave Cairo early in 2012 and come to the United States and receive political asylum. And it was an extremely difficult journey. Uh, especially I knew nobody in America. I've never thought, I never thought about leaving Egypt before then. All, the, all of a sudden I, I found myself having to flee and uh, ended up in the United States. It took me a while till I, I knew what to do. I slept in the streets for like two months. I didn't know anybody, I had nothing but $700, which my friends gave me and my flight ticket. Um, but this is an absolutely great country. Um, I, I ended up, really building, rebuilding a lot of my life. Not all of it, you know, not the family part, but rebuilding a lot of my life. And I ended up doing a lot of the things that I wanted to do. I ended up um, not just speaking Hebrew, I ended up actually teaching Hebrew. Um, I, ended, <clears throat> I ended up having a lot of Israeli and Jewish friends and being in countless Shabbat dinners um, and complaining obsessively um, about, you know, how terrible gefilte fish is and how opinionated Jews are. Um, and just sharing truly uh, a, lo a life of friendship with many of my Jewish family and friends, which I feel is the greatest blessings that I have that really God gave me in life, which is the ability to cross all of those boundaries and enjoy the human companionship and the friendships of so many different people. And the saddest thing is that my other family in Egypt uh, can't really enjoy that. And they don't know that they can, um, or they don't know that they should, or that they, that they may, um, or that they are allowed to. And um, because of that, it's my, um, it's my main work or my, my, my main mission is to try to combat anti-Semitism because I realize how destructive it is. And they do it, you know, I meet a lot of Jews and they know what I do and like, oh my God, you're great. Thank you. You know, thank you. I'm not that great. I'm really doing it for very selfish reasons. <laughs> anti-Semitism is awful. It is destructive for everybody, um, for any, in any society. It's just history. I mean, how many times would we like to try it? We've already tried it over and over and over and over. Whenever anti-Semitism really starts to gain grounds in society, it's usually the canary in the coal mine and we are heading, and that society is heading to uh, a terrible, um, terrible future. And, um, and that's why I truly care about this. And of course I care because I do care about the Jewish people because it's unbelievable the amount of historical injustice that Jewish people suffered from the past. And they are suffering today in terms of how their culture is being portrayed, how Israel is being scrutinized and, and uh, scapegoated for all of the sins of the world. Um, even today in the West, I feel like Israel is being offered as a sacrifice you know, for all the sins of, of you know, Western history. Um, and this just absolute madness that keeps happening just needs to stop. I also believe that Israel has the right to exist. Not just that I believe that Israel has the right to exist. I believe that Israel is profoundly, for Israel to exist is profoundly a good thing for both Jews and Arabs and the entire world. Um, I believe that Israel is a good live all around Israel. It's an opportunity to build uh, something together um, as Jews and Arabs and try to work on making the Middle East 
uh, much better for so many people and try to <clears throat> uh, try to help um, alleviate a lot of the suffering in the region due to the political instability and the violence and the terrorism um, and so on. Um, it's actually rare in life that you know people that somebody would actually have a crazy idea and act on it, but actually then start seeing that it actually may be coming true. When I started thinking about all of this and doing all of this over 10 years ago, I was completely alone. Um, today, things are different. Last year, Israel signed, as you know, peace and normalization agreements with many Arab countries, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, uh, Sudan, Morocco, um, there are many Arabs now who are starting to um, openly um, be pro-Israel and defend Israel. You know, not a lot, not millions, <laughs> but there are uh, there is a sizable number um, that I can see. There are people in the Arab media who are saying maybe we're wrong about this. There are people in the Arab media who are saying no, actually Iran is more is, is the real danger that we all should be afraid of. There are Arabs who are start standing with Israel against Hamas. Um, and it's just absolutely amazing to see how much potential there is and that change is possible. Um, at the end, and, and after this, we'll, we're going to have a Q&A. I'll be more than happy to take any questions you have. Um, I'd like to say the reason I'm sharing this story is to let you know that, yes, anti-Semitism exists. It's more terrifying than any... Um, than most what Jewish people think. You know, I've met a lot of Jews and they discovered that actually most of them had no has no idea how anti-Semitism really looks like internally on the on the or on the other side, or how bad it is. Um, it's really bad. It 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 kidnaps people. It turns people into something uh, akin to zombies. Live people who are totally living in fantasy. They are human, full humans but their mind has been hijacked by this parasite that just is, destroys their way of thinking. But it's not, it's not the end. It's possible for people to change. Uh, I changed, it happened for me, to me in my own life. It's absolutely possible. It was painful. It was not something easy. Um, it was something that's incredibly difficult, but something that made my life much better. Um, and the only way to do that is through education. There is no other way around. Um, and Judaism itself understood that very long time ago. And it's actually, as a culture and as a religion, has an unbelievable emphasis, more than any other culture. And uh, as a, I'm not Jewish, I'm not converting, so I'm not really trying to, but this is really my objective opinion, that Judaism um, disproportionately compared to every, every other culture and civilization has this huge emphasis on education. Um, I mean, the Jews are literally dubbed the people of the book. Uh, it's the first culture in the world to be organized around a book, around an object of studying. Um, Judaism is the only culture that I know of in the history that has its primary rite of passage from childhood to adulthood becoming a full member of the community through the act of acquiring literacy. Um, Judaism has this huge emphasis on education and, and this amazingly wise construction is due to the fact that the Jewish wisdom understood that it's education, it's learning, it's studying, um, and it's, it's dedication to the word, dedication to argument um, is the only way that we can maybe get closer to the truth that's very hard to, to get to. Um, and this is why I do what I do with Stand With Us because I believe it's very important to try to educate people uh, as, as much as we can. Uh, thank you for listening to me. I'd be more than happy to take any questions you have. Hussein, thank you so much. Powerful presentation. I have been writing down questions that I have. I have a whole list of questions, but I do wanna first open it up to our community. Um, sure. I'm sure you have questions. Um, so this is now open. You can unmute and, uh, and ask questions. Well, I have a question, Rabbi Solish. Yeah, the, go teacher, ahead, the teacher always has the questions, right? Yes. Um, Hussein, I was wondering, my family is from Iran and, and very similar stories that unfortunately still happening there. The, 
yeah. what you shared in the beginning about um, all the lies told, it's the same exact thing. The kids are still watching the school there on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, so I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful to be teaching in a Jewish school and trying to do my part in getting this to the next level, hopefully. But what I struggle with is I feel that those of us from countries that have this thing that's anti-Israel, like I am going to be in exile for the rest of my life, that there is no such a thing as being um, proud of my Iranian heritage at the same time being Jewish. And, you know, when I read the Bible, um, I feel like I'm in, in a desert in Israel and, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm too old to be there. Should I know by now there's this wonderful Jewish community who's welcoming me. But at the same time, I wonder if the suffering goes on and on and on because we've chosen to um, try to correct some of the wrong. How do you feel about that? Um, wow, you're asking a tough question. I, I don't know. Um, I don't have answers, by the way. I just have my, my story. Uh, I don't know if I have any answers. I mean, those questions are really, there are questions that you can find in the Tanakh itself. Is it always going to be this way? Are good people always going to suffer and, and bad people, uh, the, the path of the wicked will always be successful? Um, I really don't know, but I don't see any other way but to have hope and believe in tomorrow and just keep doing what we're doing. Um, I don't know if it will work out in our lifetime, work out in in our kids' lifetimes, and but there's no other way. We have to believe that now we can we can fight this, we can do better, and uh, we can try. I, you know, I'm from I'm from Egypt. All my family are Muslim, or my nieces or nephews. I I refuse to give up on them. I'll just keep trying um, because they are my family, and um, I am one of them. I did it, so I know it's. It's doable. It is possible. Um, and I will just keep doing it. And you also have to keep doing it for yourself and, and for your kids and for your community. Because as I said, it's our all our best interest to just push away all the lies and the fantasies about what reality really is and try to really see the world for what it really is, not what we're fantasizing. Um, I think you should be proud of your Iranian heritage. I think uh, one of the most amazing strengths and um and uh and benefits of of the jewish life is the ability of jews to be jews yet bring part different parts of the world of of human cultures together and you see that in israel uh which is quite magnificent you see people who are from iran people from iraq people from egypt people from poland people from germany uh, people from russia you see people from ethiopia and they're all coming together and they all uh, bringing all of those different parts to to Israel and to Judaism. Um, so, in my opinion, it's it's something that um, that you can be uh, proud of. And I hope that Iran. Listen, the Islamic Republic of Iran is not going to last forever, because nothing does really. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not going to last forever, and who knows for how long it's going to last. Um, and I have, I actually have a lot of hope for Iran. When I meet Iranian people, even not not just Jews and and I say, you know, you run into Iranians, you're Uber driver, you know, you're accountant or something. And they strike me as brilliant people, truly, truly brilliant. And sometimes it baffles me. Wow, they are honestly, they're smarter than I feel as an Arab. I can say that they're smarter than a lot of Arabs. How did they get themselves in this situation? Um, and I really have a lot of hopes that when the Islamic Republic finally will go away, we're going to see an, an, an Iran that it's much better, much more enlightened, and that can be actually a friend and a partner for Israel, to Israel in making the region better. So that's my hope, and that's what I'm working towards. But as for what's gonna happen tomorrow, you know, only a shame knows. Then how do you deal with your own homesickness with all this happening? I just, I, I, um, I just have to deal with it. I mean, it's something Everything comes at a price, and mm -hmm. I chose this, and this is the, the price that I have to pay. Um, but it's a quite, it's very rewarding. I think, um, I think I'm very lucky. Not everybody is lucky in life to find something worth doing uh, and worth paying a price for. And uh, I think I was lucky. <laughs> 
that I was born in a place where there's very little truth and I was able to realize that. Um, so God kind of gave it to me easy, right? Here's your chance and uh, I'm trying to take it. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank that was a that was a great conversation, and I'm I feel very um, very lucky to to have been been able to li- to listen to that. Thank you both for sharing. Um, a question came up in the chat. I want to. Uh, there's two questions that I'm going to read, and um, and then we're going to open it back up to to live questions. Um, so one question that's asked is about anti-Semitism before 1948. Um, if you have knowledge of that um, in Egypt or in other Arab countries before 1948, were there comic books as prevalent or was the, the rhetoric the same? Um, it seems like Jews that left or fled Egypt look back on their life there with fondness. Was there this kind of Jew hatred then or was it a bit of a different thing? And was it 1948 that kind of brought that up? What's your understanding of that? That's an excellent question. Um, so anti-Semitism, there was a form of anti-Semitism that existed prior to modern time. Let's just not say 1948. Let's say the, the entrance of modernity in the Middle East, kind of. Pre-modern times, of course, there was a form of anti-Semitism, but it was definitely definitely way more benign than European anti-Semitism. That's historically proven. That is, that Jews lived as second-class citizens. Now, if you're really talking about the 10th century, that's that's progressive. Uh, for the minority to have even a status that's even close to something of the sort of a second-class citizen a thousand years ago, that would have been really progressive, which actually really was. Um, And this is why you had the Jews of of Muslim Spain really thriving and creating um, a a very thriving, uh, you know, Hebraic culture and and philosophical culture and Talmudic uh, culture. Uh, it's because that really it was it, it, it was quite progressive for its time, um, but it was a second class citizen. You still you had restrictions, you had so on, but it was things you could live to. It was not the genocidal insanity um, that Europe had known or that we see today in a lot of the um, Middle East, the, the rhetoric in Iran, for example. Um, the this kind of obsessional anti-Semitism, erotic completely genocidal anti-Semitism existed in Europe. It took a sharp turn with the modernization or kind of the secularization of the Christian anti-Semitism. And we saw this in the philosophy of the Enlightenment and the German nationalism. And that's actually what came to the Middle East starting from the 19th century, the second half 19th century with colonial powers, Europeans arriving to the Middle East, missionary schools, they started bringing a lot of this, but it was really Arab nationalism that started bringing the entire philosophical system of Western anti-Semitism because Arab nationalism, and this is not, not speculation, this is really just the truth of how it happened. Arab nationalism was completely modeled after German nationalism. That is the Arab intellectuals who wanted to create something called Arab nationalism. They, they loved, they were looking for the Bismarck of the Arabs the Prussia of the Arabs. This is the writings. I actually read a lot of this a lot in order to figure out what happened. Um, So they imported the entire German philosophy by just by Arabizing it. And that way they were able to actually, unfortunately import that kind of madness that we know from from German nationalism. Um, So you're right to know, to notice that, yeah, the 20th century Arab anti-Semitism became completely different but it's really since before, it started since before 1948, um, the end of 19th century specifically. But with 1948, that, that really took a, uh, a very uh, uh, center stage, especially that Arab nationalism also became state ideology for many actual states, Syria, Iraq, Egypt, um, and, and so on. Interesting. Um, and this is my own question, just an addendum to that. Um, is there a Jewish community currently in, uh, in, in Egypt and Cairo that you're aware of? Uh, I know that there are very few individuals, uh, mostly um, very uh, senior women uh, who are probably, we're talking about this is the last decade for any Jews to, Egyptian Jews to be living Got in it. Egypt. Okay. All right. Let me ask you another question that came in through the chat and then we're going to open it back up to, uh, to, the li- to, to those that are 
we'll, we'll ask people to unmute and ask the questions. So question is coming in is, do you speak with non-Jewish groups such as US-based Muslim groups? And do you see a window of opportunity for Tikkun Olam um, with, uh, with these conversations? I do speak to a lot. I'm, I mostly speak to non-Jewish groups, but not specifically. Most of them I speak on campuses because of the campus problems that stand with us have been very active um, and dealing with. So on high schools and on campuses, so just the students in general. For Muslims, it's been happening actually more often lately. Uh, so that's something I'm, I'm very happy with, but not, not really going to a Muslim group specifically. I don't think that this is happening anytime soon. But finding Muslims more coming to the audience interested in, interested in these conversations or young Muslims who are who understand the issue of an, or understand that there is an issue in the community with anti-Semitism and they want to know how to deal with it. Um, so this also has been um, uh, very important. Actually, this last week, uh, I was with... Uh, which, um, I, I met a few people from the Emirates and Bahrain, um, and, and we talked about this issue specifically, normalizing with Israel and accepting Israel. Uh, so I don't speak to specifically, I don't go to mosques and speak. We're not quite there yet, uh, but hopefully we're getting there. It's interesting that you mentioned that, um, and thank you for that answer. Um, I will just say personally from this event, you know, we promoted it um, on various uh channels through our, you know, our email list, our community list, but as well as on Facebook. And there was, um, I, you know, I wouldn't say an overwhelming amount of hate, but there was enough that was, I, it surprised me even how much, how much hate there was. We positioned this event as all about, you know, moving from hate to acceptance and tolerance and dialogue about going from a place of like intolerance to a place of tolerance, right? It wasn't about like, you know, everyone's got to be, you know, Whatever, but and still that evoked, and I've you know I, I I worked you know on on the back end of the Facebook post to delete messages that were very um, yeah. like super ugly and and extremely threatening and whatever yeah. you know to remove those and report those, but like it it, it seemed like it, it, I'm just saying anecdotally it seems like going directly to a mosque might be a challenge given the yeah. uh, the sentiment that's uh, that's going on. Um, I can, so I can appreciate your answer. Let's, uh, let me, let me jump back into the group here and see if anyone has a question. Questions, please jump in. Yaakov. Hussein. Um, so Hussein, you, you identified yourself as a nerd growing up. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see that. Uh, nerds are generally, um, you know, they may be then been beaten up a little bit, you know, a little cowardly nature. They have a little bit of, uh, you know, power and then they'll stab you in the back real, 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 real fast. Um, yeah, I don't see that. Uh, so I just ask, you know, are you, were, were you absolutely crazy uh, going in public with your uh, with your research and, and with your, you know, your stance? Uh, did you did you? So that, that's the first question. You know, did you why didn't you do it? Try to do it a little bit more in a, a little bit more safe manner instead of just so visible where you literally could have been killed. I mean, so easily, I would, I would think. Um, and then, you know, back to the, the Persian thing, um, you know, I see the self-flagellation, you know, I see these guys that, that there are, man, I admire them. They are such believers, you know, they have such fervor and they have such faith. And I think um, part of, part of this struggle is they know that, that world, you know, that world is that is is a is is being threatened by secular, the secular Western model. It's taking over everything. You know, why don't we just flood the Gaza Strip with all the McDonald's and uh, Tasty Creams and uh, ice cream and just you know pollute them with video games and everything and uh, like they'll be just like us. But you know, it, it, you know, then I thought it was it was secular versus 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 the old school spirit, but. What I see in this country is I see just the old, old racism. And, you know, it's those same people. You know, they think they're going to lose control. They think that, you know, women are a threat. Brown people are a threat. Yeah. Um, Arab people are a threat. Um, just anybody except these old white men or, or ignorant people are, are a threat. And yet, you know, you had comments going on Facebook. So, you know, maybe it's not just ignorant people. Maybe it's 
zealous people, religious Jews, religious Arabs. So, you know, th those, I guess I'm just posing a, a few different types of questions. I'm trying to figure out if you have a beat on, on really what's driving um, people's fears, because obviously, you know, hatred is a fear. It's a fear of something. And it's, they don't want anything. I mean, when, when we gave back Gaza Strip, we also gave back multi-million dollar greenhouses that they just exploded and destroyed. I mean, they could have had these things. They were very valuable. Um, so they don't want, they just want to destroy. So I don't, I don't know what, what they're so scared of, you know, why there's, why the Arabs are so scared of Jews or where, why people are so scared of Jews. If you have any thoughts um, on that. Thank you. And thank you. Um, about, about your first question, yeah, of course I was reckless. I was young when I did a lot of this. Um, definitely there was, there was a lot of naivety, but it worked out and I'm here. So exactly. thank God. Um, uh, and somebody have like, um, somebody has to start, you know, and I hope what I do is actually, it's kind of helps to lower the cost on this kind of speaking up for others. Um, and people who come after me. Uh, you know how it is, economics. I love economics, they explain a lot of things. So I hope, yeah, my, me doing this just kind of lowers the cost a little bit. Um, about about the hate and, you know, hate is a very complicated thing. I, uh, it's really, I, I, it's really hard to speak about it. I mean, a lot of this conversation, you know, it's gonna be philosophical, religious, psychoanalysis, I don't know if we can, you can, we can argue that the, the problem are that those people are religious, or we can also argue that they are not religious enough. Right. Um, uh, and that's something I've been thinking about. People like Hamas, who claim to be the people of Allah and the people of God, and they do everything for God. Well, if you really are ready to sacrifice, you know, your child to the last drop of blood for the sake of land or honor, is this really, are you really worshiping God or are you really worshiping land? Um, are you really just not reliving the Canaanite paganism um, of the past that you're sacrificing every human life needed in order for you to, um, which that's really the opposite of the story of Abraham, for example, who God demanded his absolute obedience, obedience and then his first command was not to sacrifice a child. Um, and you see those those things and then you ask, well, maybe Hamas's problem is not that they are religious, maybe that they are not really religious. Uh, they're actually pagan in, in the way that they think and the way that they act. Um, why do people hate each other? You know, the story of Cain and Abel, I think it's one of the most profound stories uh, that the Torah um, gave us. And I think many times I look at Cain and I see in him not just a pity thief or murderer. I, I, I see the first critical intellectual in history and the critical philosopher. The first person to ask, well, why him and not me? Mm. And if it's either him or me, then let it be me then. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's complicated. I can't, I can't agree really that hate is only fear. I think there are a lot of things. I'm not an expert on the subject, but when I think about it, it's just, uh, you know, I, I, I honestly go back to the Tanakh over and over, like, oh my God, there's Jews in the desert. They were right all along. And, and also, I think just that they need a better outlet for their passion. I mean, young people need a better outlet than, than hate because, you know, as we can see, uh, you know, and in, in, as we saw in, in Persia that, you know, they have a lot of a lot of good faith and a lot of good zealotry. And if we could just, uh, the Persian people are amazing people. I mean, they're just the nicest human beings. Uh, they make Southern hospitality look like uh, child's play. But yeah, if we could just re-harness that, it would be amazing. Anyway, yeah. Thank you. Indeed, indeed. Ariella, go ahead, jump in. Uh, hello, hello, Hussein. Thank you so much for this wonderful presentation. I just want, I want to thank you for the work you're doing and um, commend you for sticking with it. Um, there's a famous saying, it's not our job to finish the work, but neither can we cease from it. So I realize this may take some patience on your part, but it's very important. 
And you may not identify as a Jew, but I believe you're chosen because it's very obvious that Hashem has chosen you to do something special in this world. And, and uh, so I was going to mention, this is, this is a topic very close to my heart. So I've literally been talking to my father since I was a teenager about how can we have peace with the Arab world, you know, the Jewish and Arab world. So yeah, it's been a few decades for me. <laughs> but um, I want to remind you, I know you know this, but um, Abraham had to leave his family too. So you're in good company. He had to leave his family. He uh, chose a different walk and, uh, and, and changed the world. So, so that's the first thing I wanted to say to you thing was I love that you started learning about Judaism because of language study because of studying Hebrew um, I'm really happy about these new agreements that we have with Bahrain that Israel has with Bahrain UAE uh, Morocco and uh, Sudan as you were saying because I've been part of an open out of Tel Aviv because of COVID-19 we were able to study on zoom so I was meeting with Israelis and also we had Arab classmates and we had classmates from the UAE and from Bahrain. I had a classmate I was very fond of named Hussein from Bahrain. And uh, he was such a beautiful Hebrew speaker too. His accent was impeccable. You know, I would, I would listen to him we, we, in WhatsApp. We had to say things and put them in the group and I would listen and listen to him like, oh, he's got the good pronunciation. <laughs> uh, so, so that's a benefit of, of an Arab person learning uh, modern Hebrew. Um, and also one thing that was very touching for me was in this recent escalation with Gaza, um, we all still have our WhatsApp groups, all of the students still talk to each other. And to, I mean, to look at this WhatsApp group of mine in my phone and look at the Arab people and Jews consoling each other and saying, listen, we're both losing loved ones. You know, this is painful for both sides. It was just, it was very deep and meaningful to me to be part of a community, even if it's, even if it's a WhatsApp in which Arabs and Jews are just, you know, grieving together. We were crying together. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Ariel. I have a question. Yes. Go ahead, Mom. Yes. Okay, th this this will be the last one though. Okay. okay. I, I I I hesitate to call you by your first name because you probably have a title like Doctor. No, 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 no just doctor. the same. No. Okay. The the question is did you, were you able to study far back in the history of the Arab and Jewish relationship, Muslim Jewish relationship, far back when we cooperated and we, we were welcomed into the Arab countries and the Muslim countries? And, and, and maybe you could um, use that connection that was there from the beginning and, and, um, emphasize that in your in trying to influence some of the negative propaganda to disappear yeah no definitely you're right and that, that's something that we um always try to remind people uh, of with our jews and arabs and and there's something very important there are you know there are differences though and those differences are important as well um uh, that basically Jews, back then they had no power. Uh, they were just admitted as, they were tolerated as second-class citizens. And this, by the way, this is a big problem with Israel in the Middle East. It's the idea of accepting Jews having independent power over themselves. Um, and I, it's, it's, a, it's an evolution, it's a progress, and, and it's a step of growth for Muslim civilization in general to accept the fact, well, you know, Jews are not going to be your second class anymore. They will have, you know, independent power over their own selves and over their own lands. And that's something that a lot of Muslims and Arabs haven't been able to accept 
because just it's a break with all of their history, right? Like Jewish history started, like it's a very long history. Um, Muslim history is 14 centuries right. of power. So the fact that now you're going to share power, that's new. That never happened before for Muslims in their history. Um, and this is why I believe that this is taking long. But still, those those amazing um, historical episodes of cooperations are, are important. Thank you very much, Rabbi. Thank you, everybody, for, for having me tonight. It's a, it was a great pleasure to speak to all of you. Thank you. I want to wish you a blessing before, before we conclude. May Hashem bless you with strength and with courage and with only peace in your life and blessings and continue to, to, to do the good work to bring us all together. Thank you so much. Thank you for all joining us tonight. Have a wonderful evening. Take care. Shalom.